Welcome back to another episode of Product Love, hosted by Eric Bodick, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Pendo, a product experience platform. Every day we use different kinds of products to help us go about our lives. Behind each product is a product manager who has carefully built something they hope their users love. This is Product Love, the podcast where we interview product managers and explore the craft of product management. Hey, so this week on Product Love, I sat down and talked to Jim Semick. Jim is the founder and chief strategist of Product Plan. And Product Plan is a software company that makes road mapping easy, collaborative, and transparent. Before Product Plan, he worked at Microsoft, and he also worked on a number of well-known products like GoToMeeting and GoToWebinar, both of which are from Citrix. Along with that, he had previous startup experience at Appfolio. But with Product Plan, Jim decided to do something different, right? He decided to bootstrap the company. And this got me to thinking, why? Why bootstrap a company versus raising funding from investors? Is there something about the market that makes bootstrapping reasonable or sometimes maybe even a better idea than raising funds? And does this approach change if a new player enters the marketplace, a player that might have a big investment war chest? And in Product Plan's case in particular, I thought, why was the timing right for road mapping software? I remember road mapping kicking off in the 90s. Why was it right today? So with Jim, we dug into a lot of these questions, and then we talked about two areas product managers often struggle with, those two areas being metrics and product pricing. So, well, enough of my jabber, let's kick this off, and afterwards, would love it if you shoot me a note at ebodic at pendo.io and tell me what you think. Well, welcome lovers of product. Today I am here with Jim Semick, co-founder of Product Plan, and a guy who's been launching products now for what? Over 15 years, right, Jim? Yeah, a long time now. So why don't we kick this off by you giving us a little overview of your background? Sure, absolutely. I've been in product management for quite a long time now. I've helped launch and validate several software products, several successful software products in the SaaS space. Before a product plan, which is product roadmap software, we started about five years ago. I was over at a company, B2B SaaS company. It was one of the early team members at a company called Appfolio. Uh, That company went public a couple of years ago. And uh, before that, I I validated and wrote the product requirements for a couple of successful software products, including GoToMeeting, GoToMyPC, GoToWebinar, and those products. So let's talk a little bit about product plan. Talk to me about how and why you chose to start product plan, you know, going after the B2B space versus B2C and the fact that you've chosen to bootstrap it instead of looking for outside funding. Yeah, absolutely. And before we started product plan, we, my co-founder and I, Greg, had spent a lot of time together talking about what kind of business we wanted to start. Both of us have had some successes in the past with software products. And my comfort zone has always been in B2B software. And so that was a natural for us. And so we decided first what kind of company we wanted to start, what our vision for the eventual outcome was, what sort of culture we wanted to have for the company, and decided that we wanted to bootstrap a software company because that has so many benefits. And at that point, we set out to try to find the right kind of product to fit that model. And validated several opportunities in different spaces and eventually hit upon this need for product roadmap software. And because we both were software product managers, it was just a natural for us. And that's how we got started. So talk to me about bootstrapping, right? 
you were talking about the benefits sure. of bootstrapping. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's not for everyone. I think in so many places, the default is to assume that you need to get funding to start a software company. And both the, both the companies that I've been associated with, the early stage companies that I worked with before product plan were both venture funded. And the world I saw was changing, that it's actually a, a lot easier and less expensive and faster to start a software company without requiring capital. And the benefits of doing that are so many. It gives you control over the company and obviously the equity portion of it, you retain far, far more equity by bootstrapping. But better than that, it gives you control over your destiny and what kind of company you want to have and the culture you want to have, rather than being driven by someone else's objectives. You're able to kind of set your own your own course, and uh, I really like that. And and for both Greg and I, we've been we're a little bit seasoned, I suppose, and uh, have done it before, and felt that we could launch a successful company without requiring capital, and that's worked out well for us so far. We're able to continue to grow the company organically. We're able to hire the people that we need to hire. And for us, it's a great decision. It's something that we revisit frequently, you know, where where we constantly revisit whether we need to be taking capital on. And every time we come back with the answer of, well, you know what, it's working out really well so far. So we're going to continue, continue bootstrapping. And and what do you think would cause you to look at, you know, raising capital? Is it a factor of how much competition is raised? Is that a big factor in your thought process there? Yeah, well, it's it's always a consideration. You know, I think the downsides of bootstrapping are uh, fairly obvious. You, it's difficult to grow as quickly as you want to. You can't simply just throw money at uh, customer acquisition, for example. But you know, for me, that's a that's actually a blessing to have to be resource constrained like we are helps us make faster and better decisions, I think. And ultimately, I think it helps us create a better, more focused product for our customers rather than having the luxury of all of this capital to, you know, run wild with customer acquisition experiments and and hire to build features that may or may not be required by our customers. It really bootstrapping causes us to be focused. And I really like that approach. But of course, you know, when with a software company, you know, you, because we're resource constrained, we can't hire perhaps as many engineers as we want. And ultimately that's okay with us. What about, think about it from a standpoint of other companies out there, entrepreneurs that are thinking about whether I raise capital or continue bootstrapping Mm -hmm. my company. Is there particular events or characteristics of a market that you'd push them down either path? Yeah, absolutely. For for us and being in the B2B software space, it's far easier for us to focus on a narrow problem set and solve that problem really well with this very purpose-built software. So we're able to get in very quickly, build software that solves a problem for this problem set for product managers. So helping them build beautiful visual product roadmaps. And with B2B, because the lifetime value of these customers is so much greater than it would be in a B2C world, we're able to fund the company based on those revenues. So in our situation, in that world, bootstrapping is a very appropriate approach. But there are other ideas and other startups that may be required to raise capital. For example, if you're in the B2C space and you need to rapidly get traction with a lot of consumers, especially if it's a market-based 
business where you need to have you know, a mass, a critical mass of people in order for the product itself to be valuable. Social media comes to mind. You absolutely have to have capital for that. You can't bootstrap that unless you're going to have one of those, you know, unique situations where you get this viralness that occurs for free. I think that rarely happens. So a company like that, you're going to need capital for it. You're also going to need capital if you have a vision to create a product that appeals to a wide market and you eventually expect to IPO, you know, so some entrepreneurs have that vision for their product. And for that, I would say, well, yeah, you need to step on the gas and, and raise capital. I think that would be appropriate. So, so it really just, it depends on the product and it depends on as well, the eventual outcome that you expect for the company. So now with, with product plan, you're building product road mapping software. And I, I remember, you know, I've been, I've been around a while, I guess. We like to say seasoned, right? Yeah. <laughs> I remember product road mapping software back in maybe the late 90s, early 2000s. Why is the time right now for what you're doing? Yeah, there are several things that I think are happening right now around product management that are really interesting and make it just the right time for, for a company like ours. First of all, I think product management is finally getting the recognition that it deserves. You know, I think both you and I know that going back, it, it really was not a well understood occupation. And I think only now it's becoming really more well known. I think there's a lot of buzz around product management. And so I think there, and, and as a result, there are great tools coming into the market, tools like Pendo and, and Product Plan and, and a whole slew of other products that are geared towards helping product managers make better decisions and help communicating their vision within the organization and gathering metrics to support decision making. So I think that now there's this kind of this confluence of events happening right now and recognition for the space that makes it the right time for product roadmap software. So I think we're, we're kind of hitting it at, at the right time. And, you know, I think it's only now that we're seeing really formalized, even education around product management up until now, you know, there hasn't been a really formal track for it. It's been kind of a, most product managers I talk with, they almost fall into the occupation. And there are only now schools for product management and formal education tracks. And, and even some universities are providing more formalized education for product managers. I'm involved at the University of California here in Santa Barbara, California, with a technology management program. And a large portion of those people involved in that program, there's a, both an undergrad and a master's program for technology management, they're really interested in product management as a career. And so there are more and more resources for PMs to actually start their career as a product manager. Yeah, I was always amazed at how little there was as far as education, right? Carnegie Mellon, my alma mater, just recently launched a master's in product management. And I, mm -hmm. I think that's, if not the first, one of the first. It always amazed me that there wasn't more formal education out there. Yeah, and I think that's changing. And I'm so happy about that. I'm so happy to see all of the advice and education and discussion and tools available to PMs now. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's sometimes I think we forget how young of a craft product management is. 
but I, I've definitely seen now with the addition of a lot of different products that are custom built for product managers, it's no more like, hey, what's your tool set? Well, it's Excel. Now, hey, what's your product stack? Well, I use product plan. I use Bendo. I, I use full story. I might use split. You know, there's now a group of products built around product managers. And that didn't exist back in, you know, the 1990s, early 2000s, never mind back in the, you know, 70s or 80s, you know, when technology companies were starting. Yeah, absolutely. So you spent a lot of time talking about company strategy and product roadmaps and how they interact. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. One of the problems that we found in validating this is a product idea. We actually interviewed 70 different product managers to try to understand the problems that they were facing, how are they were going about those strategic discussions with their stakeholders and how they were documenting and updating their product roadmap. And one of the common themes that we heard is that there was often this disconnect between the strategy and the goals of the organization and what was being put on the product roadmap. And much of this was through no fault of the product manager. It was really this disconnect at the the C-level and with other stakeholders because everyone has their pet project, for example, and often decisions are made in these strategy meetings by who's the loudest person or which sale we need to get in order to, you know, which product we need, which feature we need to have in order to make a certain sale with a big customer. And so there was often a disconnect between the strategy for the organization and the what was actually happening with the product roadmap and development. And so that's one of the key things that we've set out to tackle. And one of the problems that we really, really try to solve is to tie all of those things together. What are the organization's strategic goals? And if a product manager doesn't already know that or or the managers or the executives don't already have those strategic goals, then you know, often the product manager can jump in and help with that process. And then being able to make prioritization decisions based on those strategic goals is incredibly important. And, and so I think that is, that's something that's happening more and more often. We're starting to see you know, OKR and we're starting to see really these, these KPIs tied to roadmap initiatives. And the KPIs, of course, should in turn be related to the, the goals of the organization. So I'm seeing that happen more and more and more discussion is happening about that potential disconnect within product management circles. So I think that over time that will continue to improve, I hope. You know, obviously, you know, (laughs) in sales, we've always had goals. It always surprised me some of the lack of product goals that have been out there. Why do you think this is now? Why are people changing their approach now? Well, I think part of it is because product management is becoming, as I said, more of a more of a discipline. And there are a lot of articles being written and, and guides being written around, you know, being more of a data-driven product manager. And then, you know, especially with software products, you know, this data is now available to us. And I, I think in large part because we now have analytics tools that help us understand you know, big picture, what are customers doing within the products? And I think that in turn makes it so that product managers can actually measure the success of their initiatives. And that that hasn't always been available. Getting that sort of information has been really hard up until now. And so that's why tools like, you know, like 
Hendo and, and other products like that are so important. The downside, of course, is that now we have these streams of data coming in from every direction, whether through Google Analytics or through other methods. And, you know, how, do you, how does a PM make sense of it all? And, you know, it's like drinking from a fire hose sometimes. So you really need to, as a PM, you need to be able to say, okay, these are the four things we're going to measure. These, these are the things that are important. The other, the other th- thing that I think is really important for PMs is to, before a feature is released, or even before it's, you know, before you begin grooming a, a particular feature, it's important to understand the success metrics, or at least put a stake in the ground of what success might look like so that you can begin measuring it. And I, I think that's, that's really key is to build the measurement. It's not just releasing a feature. You need to build the measurement into the, into the feature so that you understand whether it is successful. So I think those, those, are more, those discussions are happening more and more around product. And, and I'm really happy about that. Yeah, I think that's great. I feel like there's a shift with companies, instead of being more output oriented, they're more goal oriented, you know, exactly. instead of just saying, hey, we've shipped these 500 features or whatever the number happens to be, right? Sometimes it feels like 500. Right. Uh, instead of saying that, they're like, okay, great. It's great that we shipped them, but now how are they being adopted? Are customers getting use out of them? Are they adding value to them? And really starting to think about those kind of metrics. So let's talk a little bit more about metrics. Do you, sure. you feel like the typical product manager tracks the right metrics? Do they get dragged down into the weeds too often? Yeah, it's, it's possible. I think that just the fact that they are starting to talk about metrics for their products or for the business, I think that in itself is success. Uh, you know, I usually recommend that product managers track a couple of different metrics. You have the customer-oriented metrics. So that's a way of measuring usage, for example, of your product among your user base, looking at, you know, how many people are using certain features or take certain action and beginning to measure those those things. And of course, those need to tie back into whatever the company's objectives are, which might be conversion. It might be tracking customer satisfaction, such as net promoter scores. You want to be able to, those metrics aren't just things you track for the sake of tracking. You really want to tie those to you know, some sort of ultimate goal that you have for the product. And then there are these business-oriented metrics. And in, in our world with software, we, you know, we pay a lot of attention to customer lifetime value. We look at you know, average revenue per customer. For us, we look at the number of licenses per customer that people are purchasing. And we look at expansion licenses within an organization. And we want to continually see growth with that. You know, we track conversion metrics and all the standard software as a service metrics that you might imagine. So those are the business-oriented metrics that, that I think are really important for, for product managers to understand. You know, you're not, you're not looking at just the product in itself. And I, I think it's important for product managers to step out a little bit and really understand the big picture about what the organization is trying to, trying to achieve. You know, some of the best advice I think we've gotten or I've gotten in the last few years from investors has been around pricing. Neeraj from from Battery gave us some amazing advice about pricing early on. Now, I find pricing always difficult, right? Especially for experienced product managers and and even more so in new and emerging markets. Yeah. Can you give us your advice or on how you approach pricing, how you think about it? Yeah. Yeah. And I I have a lot of experience around this. But the first thing I'll say is that, yeah, it's, it is really hard to make pricing a science. You know, we can look at, at 
the results of pricing changes and people can do A-B tests and so on. But at the end of the day, pricing is just so subjective and highly, it's really hard to predict. And, and people can be irrational about their pricing decisions. So it's, it's a very difficult one to, to work with. But I, I help set the pricing for products like GoToMyPC, GoToMeeting, which had, at the time, really innovative all-you-can-use pricing. And that actually helped differentiate that product in the marketplace. So the first thing that, that I would say around pricing is that you don't look at pricing in itself. You look at pricing as almost a part of the product and potentially as a, as a way of differentiating the product from competitors. And of course, help, I helped set the pricing for Appfolio, which also had really innovative pricing that helped it stand out in the marketplace. And then with product plan, we kind of set up a unique pricing model that I think helps the viral spread of roadmaps within the organization. But so as the the first thing I'll say about pricing is that when you're looking at new product development, when you're looking at for pricing for new products, I think pricing has to be a part of that initial validation. You can't separate out pricing as this separate thing that you'll take care of later. And I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs about this because so many of them are so product focused. They're focused on the features and they're focused on how cool the product's going to be and the the interaction and the UI. And then they say something like, well, we'll figure out how to monetize it later. And to me, that's a huge mistake. And not that at the very beginning, before you launch the product, you have to have pricing right, but you at least need to understand that there is a model that works for your product. And so I'd be at least understanding what the potential model is for the product. Um, and then at least having your initial stake in the ground with, with early adopters about what that pricing is going to be. And of course, having them say yes to that price is really critical. And so I I feel strongly that pricing needs to be part of that early validation and, and it be to be tested at least in a, in some sort of interview with, with potential customers, of course, knowing that, you know, if people aren't actually signing a check or giving you their credit card, you're, you know, it's a, it's a little bit risky, but there are questions that you can ask as follow-up questions to really understand whether they're telling you the truth. And so I, I like to coach product managers to, base their pricing on the value that the customer is getting out of the product. And what that means is that you need to be able to try to quantify as much as possible the the pain that you're relieving. And I think, you know, really understanding the pain and that you're that you're solving for them helps you kind of point you in a direction for what that's worth. And then also if your product creates gains for your customer and the gains can be, you know, really quantifiable things such as, you know, revenue earned and, and things like that. But it also can be a little bit fuzzy, like it helps your customer look good. Those are, of course, hard to quantify. But the, the things like saving time, saving money, eliminating, making better decisions, things like that are really can help you formulate what a potential price could be for your product. And then figuring out kind of a unique way of presenting it in, in a way that helps you differentiate your product, I think is always you know, is, is always the, the best thing to do. You, you mentioned questions PMs can ask during that interview process, right? To, to really validate whether a customer is actually going to pay what they say they would pay or accept pricing. What questions specifically would you ask? Yeah, well, the first thing is that in interviews, if you're proposing a price, it often is really helpful to kind of have the prospect or, or customer 
kind of walk through their thought process around it. And what that means is, you know, you, you as the product manager first need to spell out what the problem is. And then you need to spell out your solution and then say, ask questions like, if you had this solution, what would that mean to you? How would your life be different? How would it help achieve the goals that you have for your job? And everyone has objectives for their job, right? And so I think it's really important for product managers to dive deep and really understand what those objectives are so that you can tie it back to that pricing discussion. And then you can always ask the blatant question. You can say, well, we're considering this product costing $49 a month. Would you buy it? And it's almost like a sales, almost like a sales call. And because there's nothing on the line, the prospect might come back to you and say, yeah, that sounds great. That, that sounds fair. Well, then the next thing that I think is really important is for the, the product manager to probe a little more, respectfully, of course, and ask questions like, oh, great. Tell me about that. Tell me how would you actually pay for that? Whose credit card would you use? Would, who else needs to be involved in the decision to, to purchase this product? And you, know, you can ask questions like that, which are going to lead to a lot more great insights around pricing. And again, at the end of the day, you know, the, the product manager might not be, might not have anything on the line and the, the customer might not have anything on the line. So, and so you kind of have to take it a little bit with a grain of salt, but if you conduct 10, 20 interviews like that, you'll start to recognize patterns. And I think that is, that's the thing you're looking for is, is pattern recognition. Now, one thing you didn't mention, you talked a lot about value, right? When establishing pricing, but one thing you didn't talk about was competition and how competitive pricing does yeah. or doesn't affect your pricing. What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that you know, obviously a product manager needs to take the competitive pricing into account. But the what I found is that a lot of people assume that you need to be lower priced. They just assume out of the gate, well, we're the new the new kid on the block. And therefore, our product needs to be lower priced in order to be, quote unquote, competitive. And I do not believe that. In some cases, that may be true. You know, in, in software, you know, a new product coming on the market needs to be, you know, faster, cheaper, better in some way, right? But, but I think that it, it's not a foregone conclusion that you need to be less expensive. And especially if your product does things differently or does it in a way that is easier, for example, when we introduced GoToMeeting, the leader in the market was, was WebEx. And that product had a lot of features. And we introduced GoToMeeting with a unique pricing model that happened to be less expensive, but it was like the model was so different from the way that WebEx was charging that it wasn't the less expensive that was the value. It was the simplicity that was the value. And so we introduced a product that had significantly fewer features than the competition and went about pricing in a way that just resonated with people because, you know, up until then, they couldn't figure out how much they were going to be spending on their online meeting solution every month. They would get surprised when they opened their bill every month. And so what we did is we simplified that whole process. We made it so that it, they weren't disincented to have online meetings. We made it so they could have as many meetings as they wanted. And of course, that product became, you know, very successful. And so I, I feel that, that just simply coming in and looking at competition, one, sets the stage for, well, we got to be less than them. And two, it also 
tends to kind of pollute your mind a little bit about what the opportunities are for pricing. And you might say, well, that person's charging $79 a month. I guess we need to come in at $49 a month. And that may not be the right way to do it. So I think that it's important to understand all the potential pricing models that you might have available to you and then be creative and also tie it back in some way to the value that you're giving to the customers. Yeah, I would definitely, if anything, add to that, right? I think there's very few software products, if any at all, that can win in a marketplace purely based on price. And it might be different if you're selling soybeans or wheat, but I think if you don't have any real strong differentiators from a product standpoint or a new way of going about things that it just competing on prices is, is probably a recipe for failure against an established company. Would totally you agree with that? I completely agree. Coming out with a me too product that just is you're differentiating based on price. Yeah, it could be, it does isn't always, but it could be a losing proposition. Yeah. So I mean, my advice to PMs is take that off the, the plate as far as differentiation. If you're just yeah. a little bit cheaper, if it's not at least 10x cheaper, it's going to be a tough battle. And, it, and it's hard to keep up with status quo with your competition. If they've been selling for a while at a higher price point, you know, you're obviously working with less resources. It's, it's a difficult fight to fight. Right. Now, one area that's really interesting that you talked about was kind of in your case, you were talking about simplicity of a pricing package, right? Where customers would know what to expect. That was very innovative and differentiating. Even though it wasn't product differentiation, it was an experience differentiation, right? The pricing experience. Mm-hmm. Are there other interesting examples like that you can cite? Yeah. When So I mentioned that I was part of Appfolio. So I was on the founding team at this B2B software company that created enterprise software for property managers. So the goal was to take this this back office software, which was up until then very clunky and expensive and old school, and do a SaaS version of uh, property management software. And, you know, up until then, the pricing models were this very traditional software pricing models uh, where you, you buy seats, you then purchase additional maintenance agreements, and we started conducting validation and actually went to a lot of property managers to understand their world. And it turned out that, first of all, the, with these, the old software, in order to save money, they were buying fewer licenses of that software than they needed. And so as a result, many of them would get on the, the intercom of the office or you know, whatever messaging app they were using, and they would say, I need a free license. And so people would need to get off their software in order to free up a license so that somebody else could use the software. And then they also felt that they were nickel and dimed by the other providers with all the maintenance agreements and upgrade fees and so on and so forth. And so we came in as we said, we said, well, first of all, we're going to come up with innovative pricing for that. And we're going to make the whole process easier. And we're going to do what is now very common. This was 10 years ago, very common to just roll in support and service into the subscription fee, which was a little bit innovative in that market. And so the pricing that we came up with was success-based pricing. And what I mean was that, that the pricing that we came up with tied directly to the success of our customers. So what we did is we said, we're going to charge you $1 per month for every rental unit you have under management in our system, which meant that as our customers were successful, partly because they were using our software, that they would pay us more. And they were glad to do so because 
because they could see the benefits of helping grow their business with the software product that we have. So, uh, so it was success-based. And so it's a, this win-win. And it also made it so that it was all you can use and people didn't need to free up licenses like they were before. So they were getting even more value out of their products. So I'm, I'm really proud of the work that we did there and coming up with an innovative model and making it tied to the success of the customers, I think was really key. Yeah, I like that a lot. I, I like pricing models where you tie you know, your success to the success of your customers. I think that puts everything in alignment, right? Yeah, definitely. So there is, there is ways you can differentiate on pricing, but it's just not having the lowest price. Exactly. Awesome. Well, let's talk about trends in the future. What do you see in the next few years that will affect the craft of PM? Ah, good question. Well, as I said before, Product management is, is seen more as more now as a career, and there's a more formal path for it than there ever has been. There's more formal education around it. And as I said, there are a lot more tools to support product managers. And, and so I think that's going to continue. I think that, you know, you, you mentioned your alma mater, and, and I mentioned University of California having more formal tracks uh, for people to become product managers. And so I think that's going to continue. And uh, we, every year, conduct a, um, a planning report. Uh, we do a survey of product managers. And, and so we, have a, we now have our 2018 product planning report. And that it shows that that's, that's happening, that there's much more formal education around it, that the usage of products related to product management continues to increase. In fact, uh, Gartner is even on the product management software bandwagon, and they're now doing reports around product management. And they said that by 2022, 50% of product managers are going to be relying on tools, including roadmapping tools, to improve their, their planning and communication with their stakeholders. And so I think that, I think we're just at the beginning of seeing more formalized processes, tools, education around product management. And I'm really excited about it as a, as a product manager for, for a long time now. It's just really thrilling to me to see, to see how much attention product management is getting. And I think it's awesome. It's great. Yeah. So Jim Semek, your favorite software product and why is it your favorite? Hmm. That's a good one. I would say that on the business side, at least here at, at Product Plan, we're avid users of Slack. I think Slack is a great product. It, it's changed how we work. We have several people who work remotely. And I think a lot of companies are, are that way. And it's, it's made it so that we can collaborate better. We're able to make, I think, decisions a lot faster than we were before. Uh, it's cleaned up everyone's inbox, their email inbox. Uh, we're not relying on email as much as we needed to. And then it's also a whole lot of fun. You know, we have several dedicated channels within the office dedicated to, you know, kind of fun, fun activities. And so everybody, I think it makes for a more fun work environment. And especially with those people who are remote, they feel more as part of the team because of Slack. So I think I really like that product. And on the personal side, I have a Sonos system, which is this mesh network speaker system at my house. And I love the integration with that and Spotify. And so I, I'm, I love music and this Sonos and, and Spotify integration that I have has just made it a, a game changer for me. I have music everywhere I go and uh, can listen to pretty much anything I want at any time. I love that. 
Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the the Sonos system, and I have mine tied in with my Alexa, so yeah. I can say like Alexa, play Saint Vincent in the living room. Yeah, and it just kicks off. It's pretty yeah, awesome. Exactly. Yeah, Slack's another good one too, right? I mean, I'm, I'm at the point where I almost have a Pavlovian response to uh, the <laughs> Slack beep, right? Yeah, so hustle over, see what's going on. Yeah, uh, which can be both good and bad. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Especially if you're getting, you know, randomized by the, the fun cat videos that people post. <laughs> yeah. I st- we have a, we have a random channel. I, I stay out of that one. You know, it can, it's like reading Reddit. It can, it can suck up hours of your time. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we've talked about a lot today. If you had to summarize, you know, the discussion we've had into your words of wisdom, what would you say? Yeah, I, I actually have several pieces of advice, but I think that the top thing that I'd like to impart on product managers is that you're, you're not just building products. You're not just releasing features. You're solving pain. And I think that's really important for PMs to always remember that when you're interviewing customers or you're thinking through potential solutions to be really thinking about the customer pain that you're relieving and the value of solving that pain. Like if you were to solve a particular pain point for a customer, how's the customer better off because of that? And to me that when, when, you, when you crack that, everything else falls into place. And in fact, you can release like features that are less than feature complete and customers will forgive you as long as you're helping them reduce pain or, or creating some sort of gain in their life. And so I've always been a big fan of, you know, obviously of the minimum viable product, but also thinking that even for that MVP, you could probably release 80% of what you think the MVP is. And customers are still going to be happy about that as long as you're solving some sort of pain for them. So that I think is a a key thing for, for PMs to remember. So one final question I ask all my guests, three words to describe yourself. Mm. Smiling. I would say quick. I move very quickly in decisions and physically. (laughs) And the last one is I'm an optimist. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. This has been great. Greatly enjoyed the conversation. And uh, why don't we leave it with a little uh, St. Vincent? Let's see if we can get Alexa to work here. Hey, Alexa, play St. Vincent in the living room. Shuffling songs by St. Vincent on Living Room. Right on. That's great, Eric. Thanks, man. This is great. This has been Product Love. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Check out the rest of our articles and interviews on productcraft.com, an online magazine by and for product people.